Welcome to the Feed Long Lunch. It's where we like to take a slightly deeper dive into conversation with some of our guests, exploring New Zealand's food stories, personalities and future. So grab a plate, a snack or a glass and join us for a slightly bigger slice of the conversation. And then remember to join us at thefeed.co.nz for more. The Spring Sheep Milk Company is the largest sheep milk producer in the Southern Hemisphere, being supplied by 12,700 sheep in the Waikato and having developed its own breed of sheep, Zealandia. Just six years old, Spring Sheep is on track to have over 40,000 sheep in the next four years. The company claims to have a low environmental footprint and that its milk is as, has as good a flavour, if not better, than dairy and is fetching a premium price, especially in Asia. So how bright is the future of sheep milk and can it compete with its big bovine brother on the one hand and the feisty plant alternatives on the other? Well, to answer that, I am joined by Nick Hammond, the co-founder of Spring Sheep and now the newly appointed chief executive. Welcome to the feed, Nick. Kia ora, Vincent. Great to be here. Uh, well, congratulations on that new role. Um, was it more stress, less pay? Is that how it works? <laughs> if it was hourly, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's been great, though. Um, it's a business I've been deeply passionate about and one I've been involved with since it was an idea on a whiteboard. So it's been a, you know, it's been a real honour to step into the CEO role. And uh, we've got a fantastic team. So a um, really great group of people to be leading. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, we'll come back to the business in a minute, but let's start with the product. Maybe we could just um, talk about the differences between what we know, mostly cow's milk. Um, but um, what makes sheep milk different? Let's talk about flavour, for instance. Yeah, the flavour of sheep milk is absolutely beautiful. It's um, uh, What I'd sort of describe it as is if you took cow's milk, add a little bit of cream and sugar, it's just a little bit sweeter. It's got a really beautiful mouthfeel. And it was actually one of the original things that got us sort of enamoured with sheep milk and its potential as a consumer product was trying it for the first time. I think a lot of consumers have this sort of uh, preconception of what sheep milk might taste like. They might think it tastes a little bit gamey or a little bit um, different, but it's actually a really beautiful flavoured product. Hmm. Good for uh, a flat white, by the sound of it. I have it in my flat my white every single morning, Vincent. It's fantastic stuff. The nutritional bit that's really got me excited about sheep milk. Um, when we sort of started looking at the space, one of the things that came back to us a lot was that um, a lot of consumers were having digestive issues with cow's milk, um, but mm. were actually finding they could drink sheep's milk. And that took us on quite an interesting path with where this product could actually end up. And we lined it up particularly um, with a lot of consumers in Asia who really do struggle with digesting cow's milk and saw there's a really interesting potential opportunity here for a digestibility um, product from sheep milk. And Why is that? What, what, what's the science behind that? Yeah, I mean, I, that's a very good question um, around the science because particularly these days consumers um, do need to know there's science behind these things. Um, what we did was we did a uh, full human clinical trial uh, across across 30 consumers who had major issues with um, with dairy intolerance. And what we identified was that the, the fats and proteins uh, digested very differently to cow's milk, and that this mm. means it is a more digestible product. Um, and that's something we've actually had anecdotally very strongly from our consumers as well, that they might have struggled with drinking cow's milk their whole lives, but then when they drink sheep's milk, um, they actually find they can digest it. Mm, lactase, I think, is the enzyme, isn't it, that is missing in so many people who are dairy intolerant. Is that a is that the enzyme that's needed for sheep milk? Does it have a different um, kind of uh, 
protein profile. Yeah, what, what's interesting, so the, the lactase is, um, is an enzyme that breaks down lactose, and uh, it's something that's very common within babies because they need um, the lactase to break down uh, mother's breast milk. But most people in the world actually grow out of producing that enzyme. There's actually only a few groups of people in the world that have what's called lactase persistence, where they continue to produce it for their whole lives. Um, so lactose is really only one dynamic of digestibility, though. What we've mm-hmm. actually found is that a lot of the consumers are actually struggling with the with the fats and proteins, and that's where sheep milk has quite a different uh, series of fat and protein structures to cow's milk, which we actually think is the primary driver of digestibility. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, we'll if we get a chance, we'll talk some more about that. But um, there's also nutrition. So you know, there's the digestibility. But does the does sheep milk have a, a um, I don't know, more calcium or uh, more interesting things that are good for your body? Absolutely. It's, um, it's got a particularly high amount of protein. So it has about 60% more protein uh, than cow's milk. Uh, it's also got a lot of other, um, it's higher in a lot of other vitamins include, and, and calcium as well. So vitamin A, E and B are all very high in sheep milk. Um, we also see that the um, all of our sheep are, are primarily grass-fed um, we also believe that actually adds to the nutritional quality of the product as well um, when we look at how it sort of compares to non-grass-fed milk. Mm, yeah, I mean, that's a, a, a great claim for New Zealand, you know, milk products all over. Um, but internationally, you know, sheep milk, and, and historically, you no know, sheep milk has been a thing. Uh, you know, we, we have been drinking sheep milk for thousands of years. And internationally, I think it's quite a big industry. But New Zealand has been very slow to this, despite having a long and successful history in sheep. Why is New Zealand so slow to this opportunity? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. The sheep milk industry is a multi, multi-billion dollar industry globally. And when you look at a lot of the company, countries that we'd sort of consider close competitors in cow dairy, so say France, I mean, the French have 2 million milking sheep. Uh, Spain has 3 million. Sardinia has 3.5 million. So it's a very, very large industry. Um, particularly through Europe, hmm. um, but the reason why New Zealand's been quite, as you say, so slow to the party, there's been there's been a few dynamics. Um, the main one, though, has actually, interestingly enough, been genetics. Uh, so, for reference, a normal sheep will produce say sixty or ninety liters of milk uh, in a typical season in a typical year, um, but the proper dairy sheep are typically around three hundred liters or more in a in a typical season. And what that's meant is that the farming model hasn't been economically viable in New Zealand to date. And as a result, despite the fact we are arguably the best in the world at animal husbandry for sheep, and we have one of the most high quality um, dairy processing countries on the planet um, and all that equipment available for us, we haven't actually had a sheep milking industry. And that's been something that we've really focused on at Spring Sheep. And, And as you mentioned in your introduction, uh, we've recently had our, our own breed uh, fully um, registered with the Breeders Association New Zealand um, called the Zelandia. And what that breed has really been has been a focus on producing a high-performance uh, dairy sheep uh, that will do well in New Zealand environments, so in particular on pasture. And that's been a really big part of our journey. Our highest-performing sheep from the Zelandia were over 600 litres in a single season. So compare that to... 60 litres, which might be what a normal sheep would produce, um, it is a, is a completely different uh, completely different animal. Um, they're, they're lovely sheep, but they, they're definitely geared to produce a huge amount of milk very happily. Hmm. The process of converting to uh, sheep 
milking, I suppose, must be quite fundamental. I mean, you're really talking about different size sheds, different what, different technology. Tell us about that that shift that the um, farmers are making. Yeah, well, in the in the early years, we thought it'd be a a massive shift. It's actually, as it's turned out, um, not quite as big as we thought. So, the original hypothesis when we were um, building up the breed, so we were using genetic lines from from Europe. And the systems in Europe are almost entirely indoor. And so a lot of our early farming models were primarily indoor orientated. What we actually found, though, was that um, the sheep actually performed just as well fully outdoors. And so a lot of the farming models coming on these days are actually fully outdoor models. And they're relatively low capital cost to convert, um, namely because they're actually taking uh, residual infrastructure uh, from cow dairy farms and converting them over to sheep. And so if you imagine, um, particularly around a lot of the sort of smaller scale cowdery farms under a lot of pressure environmentally, a lot of pressure economically, and the sort of 50 to 70 hectares, so the sort of smaller end of the cowdery farms are quite hard to make work. And so what we what we saw was a lot of these farms were just being, um, they were no longer sort of pursuing dairy on these farms. They were just grazing, grazing heifers or, or planting maize, but they're leaving, you know, millions of dollars of infrastructure sitting in a paddock sort of rotting away. Hmm. And with sheep milking, uh, we can take those farms that would otherwise go into uh, grazing or, um, or horticulture and actually put convert them over to sheep milking for relatively low capital. So two or three hundred K if you've got a very high quality um, cow dairy sheep that doesn't need much more infrastructure. And all you're really changing out is the bales that the sheep walk into and, and the cupping system um, that actually takes milk out of the sheep. And those are not relative to the full cost of converting a dairy farm from a paddock. Those are actually relatively small um, capital costs for conversion. And so we're seeing a lot of farmers picking up that model. We're also seeing um, some groups who are on particularly environmentally sensitive areas of land where there's, for sake of argument, a, um, where they're near a catchment that's very sensitive to nitrogen leaching, are still using an indoor dynamic, but mainly to keep the sheep off um off the paddocks during the worst bits of winter and the hottest parts of summer. I think that's very true, isn't it, of the Taupo catchment area where you've got um, restrictions on herd sizes because of the runoff into the lake. Um, so is that an area of growth, you know, because to go from, what is it, 12,500 sheep to, to 40,000, and I should point out you don't necessarily own all the sheep. You are um, entering into contra- supply contracts, I sh- assume. Is that where the, the growth is coming, sort of heading south down towards that Taupo area? Yeah, we're, it's right across the central North Island. Um, so initially we've been focusing on um, within two hours of our spray dryer, which is in Hamilton. And so we're up as far north as Karaka and as far south as, as Tapu at the stage. And mm-hmm. we're otherwise relatively spread across across that area. Um, in terms of where the growth is coming from, I think yeah, those are the two big areas. One, one is uh, groups who are on relatively sensitive areas of land looking for um, a low environmental impact uh, use. Uh, the others are, are typically farmer, uh, family-owned farms or owner-operated farms where they're looking for diversification. And a lot of those groups have, say, three or four or more cowdery operations on a on a farm. And what they're doing is they're converting uh, their third or fourth farm over to, over to sheep milking. So mm. we're seeing that as a pretty common pathway. Um, and just coming back to your, to your comment around our relationship with farmers so we partner with farmers now so we we did the first three farms ourselves and that was really important for us as a proof of concept oh, yeah. and uh, we in particular worked very closely with mpi we had a 
a really um, a really fantastic primary growth partnership with MPI, which is coming to a close in the next two or three months. And that really supported a lot of that R&D journey. And through those three pilot farms, we were able to test three different farming models, which um, from here on out, uh, all of the farms have been uh, external to Spring Sheep's direct ownership, um, but are partner farmers who um, who essentially we, we deliver there. Uh, we, we show them a sort of plan for conversion. We work with them very closely on that. Uh, we send them the Zelandia sheep that they need and work with them on on learning how to how to run a sheep milking farm and they provide us um, the milk uh, on a obviously a contract basis. Mm, fantastic. Uh, I'm imagining herding, you know, kind of directing your sheep into, you know, well, first of all, tell me, do they how often do they milk? Is it once a day, twice a day? Uh, twice a day for most of the year, and then towards the end of the mm-hmm. season, they come down to once a day as their milk volume right. drops off. And and what's the what's the process like of getting sheep into a you know they're yeah. not particularly obedient creatures so how does that work vincent your ones might not be our ones are fantastic <laughs> <laughs> so i yeah i i mean there's a common question from new zealanders they sort of hear all this and they go yeah but how can you possibly get sheep to stand in a row and be milked um and you literally see drawers hit the floor when um when sheep come in in a perfect row and line up side by side like clockwork yeah. um so what is quite different is that a typical New Zealand sheep, they only see humans, you know, a few times a year, and it's usually to be shorn. Um, and so uh, compared to our sheep, which see humans twice a day, they're also really close to humans when they're little lambs. Um, a lot of our lambs are hand-reared by people. So people mean, you know, that their food or even, you know, a, a version of an auntie. Um, so they're actually incredibly tame. And one of our issues is, is, as soon as you open a gate at the end of the farm, they actually run to the parlour. We actually have to slow them down so they don't get too hot. Mm-hmm. So I think you'd find like it's a very different experience in a sheep milking farm than you'd expect. And they do just uh, literally walk in and line up in these perfect rows um, for the most part. I mean, a few of them obviously. Um, there's, we, all, we have our prima donnas, like any 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 group of, <laughs> of people um, that'll that'll kick things off and things. But for the most part, they're um, they're pretty amazing creatures to work with. And the farmers who are working with sheep uh, are pretty hesitant to go back to cows. They, they're very clean. The parlours are very clean. If you get kicked, you get a scratch, not a concussion. Um, they're really fantastic creatures to work with. Yeah. I saw uh, the video uh, on your website of one of the farmers, and she was just talking about that the cleanliness aspect. And she, she was just in a T-shirt and shorts and, um, you know, not, not getting covered in muck. Uh, so yeah, that, that, that suddenly did appeal. Um, these Zelandia sheep are they? Who bred those for you? Did you import those, or have you developed? I mean, if you've got a, um, a copyright symbol on them, so maybe there's some sort of ownership there over the genetics. Yeah, so we we've developed breed ourselves uh, internally. Um, in terms of where the original uh, genetics came from, we we went right across uh, Europe and the Middle East and really picked out what were the sort of top breeding lines um, right across uh, those areas. And we've consolidated those. We um, worked very closely with MPI uh, to form a um, protocol for importing germplasm uh, and basically semen. Um, And we brought that back over to New Zealand. And that was the sort of foundation of our um, genetics program. What we've then done is over a number of years and a huge amount of data, I think we've taken 30 million data points um, to understand what's going to be a high-performing sheep versus another one. Um, we've then improved that flock over time, and that's where the major gains have happened. So we created a genetic diversity from bringing it in from overseas, 
we then selected within those. So what that practically means is we um, we look at all the different RAMs each year and we pick the really high-performing RAMs that have the traits that we want to carry through the next generation and they become the breeding RAMs for that season. And mm. the technology in that space is amazing. Like Just to be very clear, it's all all natural, um, but we do get a what's called a SNP. So we get to see every single part of the genetic makeup um, of a sheep and particularly of the rams and say, well, look, we know that if um, if those traits are within this ram, they're going to carry those over to the next generation at this sort of ratio. And so we can actually be very precise around which traits we want to bring through versus others. So it's more than just milk volume. We're actually doing a lot of work on uh, reducing the methane emissions of the Zlandia breed. And so we actually found that there's quite a large variation um, in the amount of methane that some sheep produced versus others, and actually hmm. that this is very genetically linked. And, um, I mean, we all know we've all got friends who are a bit gassier than others, right? And um, we actually found that we can actually put some breeding pressure on that and reduce the uh, methane emissions of our of our flock over a long period of time. Well, let's talk about um, your environmental footprint. The, you know, we know the challenges that the dairy sector has in managing, as you say, methane, but also runoff, um, um, you know, and the use of fertilisers and so on. Um, what, how does it compare to dairy? And and uh, m- maybe are there claims that you could make that would make this more attractive from a consumer point of view? Yeah, so, I mean, the starting piece is, like, the impacts that dairy has on the environment. I mean, the, the first one that's been really talked about um, over the last uh, decade in particular has been uh, the nitrogen leaching. And that is fertiliser or effluent um, from the farms uh, running into waterways um, mm. and creating environmental damage through that. So uh, what we found with um, dairy sheep in that space is they are significantly lower in, in the production and um, amount of leaching. And that's um, there's a few simple reasons for that. One is that they, they are a much smaller animal. They don't break up the uh, soil as much. Um, they also, when they do, their droppings are spread much more evenly, so it's absorbed by the grass rather than, rather than running off. Um, so we've found that it's about a 30 to 50% reduction in nitrogen leaching um, compared to cow milk. Uh, the other sort of key area, which I think is going to be, um, is obviously going to be a huge issue um, going forwards, is uh, methane emissions. And obviously there's been quite a lot of work um, at a global level around reducing um, the methane emissions over time. And this has been an area that we've, we've started focusing on. Um, and methane is naturally produced um, and ruminants. Uh, it's part of their sort of natural process of turning uh, grass uh, into into milk and energy and, and everything that comes with that. Um, and there's a few different ways that that can be reduced. I think that New Zealand has an opportunity here, though, Vincent, to be leaders in this space. Like we have some phenomenal scientists, um, and there are actually a lot of really interesting things that can be done to reduce methane uh, in, in ruminants. Um, what we have been working on is obviously being from a genetic perspective, um, reducing the methane from that side. And a lot of that same, a lot of the same things we're finding will apply over to cow dairy as well. And we'll be pretty open about sharing those learnings. Um, then there's also a lot of work being done on uh, different feed regimes and, and inoculants as well, which which would reduce the methane emissions. Uh, in terms of where you translate into a consumer story, um, yeah, I think it's it's broadly part of a consumer story. It's also an area, though, that if we as a company were to look at that, we'd want to make sure that we are super, super clear about what our total carbon footprint is. And we're beginning some work on that next year around understanding the, the carbon cycle and, um, and how our system sort of relates to that. 
I think it's an area where if you are going to put your flag up and and say at a consumer level, hey, we are really good in this space, you need to be absolutely bulletproof. I don't think there's any sort of consumer um, acceptance of greenwashing in this space. You either need to be really, really good at it or not touch it at all. Mm. Have you found that there's a restriction on the flock size? Uh, because that's another area where there's been quite a lot of criticism is that the, the total herd size of New Zealand needs to reduce. Uh, can you generate enough income with a small herd of, um, of milking sheep? Yeah, so, I mean, the milking sheep farms are, are typically smaller, if that's what you're referring to, Vincent. Um, mm. They tend to be more about seven or 800 sheep on sort of 50 to 70 hectares. So that's a lot smaller than your sort of standard um, cowdery farm, which may be more like 200 hectares is probably a more normal size there. Mm. I think your broader question, though, is is New Zealand going to increase or decrease in its number of dairy animals? Um, most things would suggest that we've probably hit uh, peak cow dairy numbers uh, in New Zealand. I mean, Fonterra are coming up saying that's that's the case. So mm. what you probably what we probably will see is a um, is a slight decline in the number of cow dairy, uh, cow cows being milked in New Zealand over time, um, and a lot of that is coming through the environmental pressure dynamic as well. That uh, when regulation means that um, that farmers need to reduce the amount of um, leaching or emissions. Um, and there's not a lot of other tools in the toolbox for them to do so in the immediate term. Um, what that does mean is that they do need to reduce cow numbers. Um, it is creating a, a huge amount of pressure on that community, though, in New Zealand, um, mm. who are typically very highly leveraged. There's a lot of debt on cow dairy farms. Um, and a lot of these farms, if they have, if they reduce their cow numbers, are actually not economically viable uh, anymore. So while I feel this sort of that conversation has become a little bit them and us, um, I don't think it should be. I think that as a country, we should be supporting our farmers um, wherever we can to actually enable them to make change. Um, and there will be technologies that come out that really support them to do that. Um, we've just been a little bit slow off the mark in terms of uh, developing those and getting them out to the farmers. Mm. But um, there's definitely a lot of pressure on that community um, in New Zealand at the moment. The regenerative idea of farming is this sort of model of a mosaic approach to land use. So, you know, what maybe within one area, maybe even within one farm, there's multiple uses, land uses. Um, could you see, you know, where does sheep, uh, dairy, um, uh, m- m- I can get my words right, um, sheep milk, where does that fit into that kind of regenerative model? Is it possible, for instance, on one farm to have cropping, um, lambs and sheep milk, for instance? Yes, absolutely. Um, what we're also seeing is, is crossover with cow dairy farms as well. So a lot of our farmers are actually running um, cows, cow milking models within their sheep milking models as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that in terms of having a, you know, multiple different models within the same farm, I think that will become more commonplace. Uh, one of the things we do just want to be very clear on um, at a global level is that uh, New Zealand is actually doing, um, at a farming level, we actually do have a lot of the be- best practice as a sort of starting point um, compared to a lot of other countries. So I spent quite a bit of time in the States looking at their farming models and was admittedly kind of a bit blown away at times um, by how intensive they were and the amount of sort of um, intensive cropping that they were then feeding into um, cows who are primarily indoors and the damage that was to the soils. And a lot of the groups there who 
we're talking regenerative farming, we're actually talking about what we do normally in New Zealand. So they're saying, oh, like what we should be doing is growing pastures and, you know, uh, grazing more more consciously. So I think there's a little piece around that regenerative um, farming that at a global level, we're probably ahead of where people would see best practice in mm. some spaces. I have to be very careful where there's a lot of very strong views on regenerative farming. Um, but I think there's also a lot of things that we can do in New Zealand, given that we are already quite strong at a lot of these practices, where can we sort of take that from there? Um, mm. And I think the other thing that people need to um, realize is how passionate a lot of these farm, a lot of farmers are in New Zealand around these issues. So it's often portrayed um, in the media that that farmers are somehow sort of resistant to a lot of these things or are not conscious of the, of the environment. Um, but actually a lot of farmers are um, doing a huge amount of work themselves um, under their own, under their own sort of costs uh, to really try and be as progressive as they can. You'll see a lot of farmers doing a huge amount of riparian planting or trying new systems and sharing them and getting very passionate about them. So um, while it's a very challenging time at the moment, I actually do believe that our, our farming community have a huge amount of innovators um, and if we sort of celebrate them and celebrate those heroes a bit more, um, we'll actually see a lot of those innovations um, be more widely adopted. Mm. So much of what you've done is complex. You're, you've got the supply side, so you're generating this new breed of sheep. You're working on the production side with the farmers. You're also creating demand out in the market by having branded products. Um, it's a complex exercise that you've done. You know, why... Why did you think this was an opportunity worth pursuing? Um, I mean, at the very outset, we saw a huge opportunity here between things that New Zealanders are fundamentally good at being animal husbandry and sheep and, and high-quality dairy processing and also a major consumer opportunity with a huge amount of challenges with digestibility of dairy in countries who are dramatically increasing their dairy consumption. So those mm. are the sort of two pieces around do we believe in supply opportunity here and the demand opportunity there and both of those were there um i think coming back to your question though vincent is is how we said you know pulling that together though um was made it quite a challenging business model it yeah. did mean that we needed to do everything at sort of the same time like we needed a genetics program um at the same time as developing our own farming systems at the same time as uh validating processing sites at the same time as developing products at the same time as launching the market so um, there's always something going on at Springsheet. <laughs> it sort of reminds me of the electric car market. You know, you need the cars, you need the charging stations, you need the consumer demand. It kind of, you need all of the bits to kind of for it, for the thing to work. And uh, I'm just curious about, uh, I suppose you're, you know, what gave you the confidence setting out? It's only six years ago. I mean, you've achieved so much in six years. What, what gave you the confidence that this would actually be an industry that, in the end, you know, you actually need to sell products, right? So, did you start with, uh, you know, the consumer appetite for change? Absolutely, and I, I think this is a, a critical piece. We actually spent uh, the best part of eighteen months really focusing on that: is there a product and market fit here? Because um, that's the hardest thing to get right in any sort of business, or in, and food businesses in particular, is is there actually a market mm. for your product? Um, mm. I actually didn't have. You know, I, I figured on the sort of farming genetics processing piece that we are genuinely world class at that in all of those three areas. And there's been models that have worked in other other regions. I sort of believe that was really just a matter of just having the right time and resource and, and application to get that side of it right. But the product market piece is where we spent a lot of our time um, pre-launch, making sure that we're comfortable, that there was a big enough market and 
and frankly there has been we've we've sold out of everything we've ever produced every single season um pretty much before the season's finished um our next little challenge is really going through a much more um much more rapid stage of scale up uh, as we increase our farms and and making sure that we continue to build spring sheep in a sustainable way through having product diversity market diversity um mm. and really thinking about what is a little bit of a challenging global dynamic at the moment and how we how we navigate that and and ensure that spring sheep is going to be here in 20 years time 50 years time yeah good well good ambition i, I imagine there are some moments though along the the way um you know were there any moments that you really thought i'm i'm not sure this is going to work how long have we got vincent i thought this is more like a 40 minutes at a catch-up <laughs> <laughs> so no i mean there's been some pretty harrowing moments like it um I think one of the really early ones was uh, when we actually tried to milk New Zealand sheep for the first time and they just had no idea what we were doing. And um, these sheep, you know, the sheep hadn't actually been milked before coming into a paddock for the first time. I'd never been in a milking parlour. And if I could, it's fair to say, everyone was a bit confused as, what, as to what to do um, compared to now where, you know, they, if, if 80% of your flock are, um, are tried and true milkers, and you've got some hoggets coming through have been hand read by people who actually just walk through pretty comfortably and uh, with their, you know, their mums and sisters, they're all good. So that that was probably one of the more funny ones. But um, like anything, uh, we, there's there's lots of challenges when you go to build something like this. And um, particularly given how quickly we've grown, uh, we just grow until something breaks. Then we sort that out. Then we move to the next thing and something else yeah. comes up. So um, that is just part and parcel of the business. Um, we've been really fortunate to have such a passionate and talented team um so we sort of call out you know we we only hire passionate superstars into spring sheep um and what's interesting is a lot of people who are really really top of their game actually love to work in environments like spring sheep where there's lots of challenges and the people around them are, are good people and nice people so mm. we take our culture really really seriously and i think with the right people in the right culture um we sort of almost crave the next challenge because we're ready to jump into it. Mm. Um, let's talk about your products. What uh, products have been the most popular? You know, what uh, is there a, um, if you excuse the expression, expression is there a um, a cash cow? <laughs> yeah, I will excuse it. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, the biggest one for us has been um, around that sort of um, young children's nutrition piece. So uh, we've developed a range of um, formulas um for called um, uh, that are really focused on little babies, um, and we never promote those. It's really important to sort of note at the start of this conversation that um, we support breastfeeding very strongly, but that has been um, the primary use of our of our sheep milk to date. And our our toddler milk drink actually won uh, a global innovation award uh, last year, taking out a few of the global giants in this in the nutrition space for that product. So that's a product that we're you know we're really deeply proud of, and that's. Um, where the majority of our milk is going to. Hmm. And that goes primarily to China? Like, who, who's buying that? Yeah, I mean, China's a huge market for us. Um, we do we sell it in New Zealand as well, which is something I'm really personally passionate about. I think that when we do make products that are best in the world, we do need to make sure that they're available to our own communities as well. Um, we've also, uh, Malaysia's going really well. Um, in the early years, we, we focused on um, Malaysia, uh, Taiwan and Vietnam, has smaller markets because we just didn't have enough milk volume. So China's been quite a recent sort of launch for us. We we only mm. really launched properly into China uh, late last year and 
it's it's going fantastically well. We're uh, increasing our team size um, in China. We've got an office up there now, so we see China sort of growing um, consistently going forwards. We'll also look at expanding out into other markets as we have more milk available. So that's a piece of work that we're doing at the moment is um, what do the next generation of markets look like uh, for spring sheep? And um, there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity out there. It's obviously a little more challenging to uh, establish new markets um, during COVID at the moment. Uh, typically, similar to as we sort of said, like getting making sure there's that product market fit is such an important part of um, being successful in these spaces. Uh, what we would typically do is literally just go into those markets and spend time on the ground, walking walking around supermarkets, talking to consumers, talking to distributors, and getting a real feel for them. Um, so that's a little bit more challenging in a COVID yes. world, but we can't go and do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I get that. Um, and product range, could you see yourself sort of moving down the dairy aisle a little bit like Lewis Road, you know, starts with the milk and uh, we in fact, he started with the butter, didn't he? Ends up with, um, uh, I'm not sure, are they doing cheese? But anyway, uh, sheep feta is very good. Sheep feta is huge. Um, yeah, there's a huge amount of sheep cheese produced globally. Um, our current focus is around, particularly around the nutrition space. So that's really been our sort of um, mm-hmm. focal point as a business. Um, we are, you know, we view ourselves in a, as an advanced nutrition business that makes its products from beautiful New Zealand sheep milk. Um, so really it's about how we extend um, from that, which is our core capability. Uh, we're doing a few, we're launching general population ranges um, at the moment. So we're doing a whole milk powder range, um, which is already in China. Um, we're launching a, what's called a sort of a stage four, which is um, a younger children's milk. And then we'll also be looking into um, creating products for seniors, which is another um, real major area of growth, um, particularly in the nutrition space. And particularly when we look at consumers who uh, struggling with digestibility, but are also in need of really high quality nutrition. Um, that's definitely an area that we're that we're looking at. Yeah, great. I will. Con- good luck with that. Uh, now we should give a shout out to your um, co-founder because um, you know the the two of you started it. So um, what's um, what's he up to? Is he hanging up his spurs or is he staying in the business? Um, no, he's still he's still in the business. So um, so Scotty Chapman and I. Uh, co-founded the business together and uh we the business is also half owned by Palmer, which is the new zealand state enterprise farming group so they've been absolutely critical to um the establishment and growth of spring sheep um but yes yeah, so scotty has is an executive director now so he um he still works in the executive um and but he's he just reduced his time and um he's always there for a phone call and he's um always always first in line to pop down to a sheep milking farm and, and take a walk around <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, well, Cheryl, what's your success with great interest? And um, uh, if we wanted to buy some spring sheep products, where would we find such things? Uh, they're all available on our website, Vincent. So um, I'll look for your order to come through. <laughs> well, we'll have some with my flat. Well, we actually did a a, um, a plant-based test um, f- for our flat whites, and uh, Boring actually came out the winner, a close close uh um we just did the oat milks actually and um it was boring and and all good were the top two it's great to hear that um uh the founder of boring uh morgan is a a good friend of mine and um she put her heart and soul to that product and it's a it's a stunning product so it's really cool to hear that there's just so many great food entrepreneurial stories going on at the moment isn't there it's there's almost like this renaissance of um food innovation happening there really is and um one of the other things I'm involved in is the uh, Future Food Aotearoa, which is a group where we're trying to sort of bring all those 
people together, sort of tribe of really passionate um, mm. foodie founders. And um, and that's where Morgan and I spend a bit of time together. Um, yeah, there's some really cool stories um, in the food space. And as there should be, like New Zealand is a phenomenal producer of some of the world's most high quality food. And um, I think that startup part of the ecosystem is really critical for creating new models that maybe a big company wouldn't touch because it seems a little bit crazy the first time they hear it. But they're a really critical part of that ecosystem to create the next generation of big businesses in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And um, there's definitely a lot of very exciting ones around um, yeah. around that of New Zealand at the moment. If only there was a media outfit that was dedicated to covering that sector. Oh, well, maybe maybe we should start one. Hey, great talking to you, and um, let's stay in touch because uh, I think uh, we will uh, be very interested to see how, you know, not just the effect of your company, the success of your company, but I think the, the effect of the, you know, this innovation on the whole landscape makes it so much more dynamic and interesting for rural communities. Absolutely, and we've always been very big on, on sharing that, Vincent. Um, we have a farm opened every, every year, um, you know, COVID aside. We have about 600 people come and learn about sheep milking and we've always taken a view to New Zealand innovation that um, share it as much as you possibly can. And if someone picks up one of our ideas and improves on it, that's awesome. That's great. Um, And we see that a lot within the rural community that um, people are very quick to um, informally collaborate, just basically share what their learnings are and get feedback and um, and share Mm. things over, over a fence. Yeah, good stuff, Nick Cameron. Thanks for joining us on the feed.